Paul's given us a pretty good list here. And I want to begin by reading Romans 12, verses 1 through 21, so you can get a, a bigger picture of what we're going to be looking at this morning. And a lot of the things that we're going to look at, we're not going to be able to you know, get to. But we have an outline of the foundations upon which uh, Christianity is, exists, and that's found in verse 1. And the classifications of Christianity, uh, verse 2, uh, which deals with uh, the life of, of conformity or nonconformity. And then, of course, the characteristics would be the third area of this study. So let's begin with reading the Word of God, <clears throat> Romans chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, through many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them in prophecy in proportion to, your, to our faith. It's, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, Give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. All right, we're going to take a look at the beginning part of this, and we'll move to this slide here. And the first thing that we deal with as we look at Romans. Uh, in particular, I want you to look at what we're going to be looking for. 
because we're going to be looking at each word. Verse 1 is not very long, but it's packed. And as you can see, we have eight foundations that are mentioned in this one verse itself. So when we look at the words, we want to look at them and to see them and understand what each word is. So this begins with the word beseech uh, in King James and some of the others uh, in the ESV. It's, it is a different word meaning to reach out. But the idea of the beseech here carries with it. It's a word that means simply to beg, to plead with, to uh, encourage you know, someone to respond to what you, you're talking about. And what is behind this word is the fact of the, that God has given to us a free will. And that's important. So we have Paul pleading with his audience, pleading with us to listen, to understand what God expects of us, what God has given us to do, and respond to that. So the word beseech. And it's done that way because God gives us a free will. When he created Adam and Eve, he, uh, back there in the beginning, Genesis 2, 8 through 10, talks about the fact that God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he informed. And out of the ground of the Lord, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you do, you will die. Now what is taking place here? God places Adam and Eve in this beautiful garden. They've got everything that they need. Life is good. And, you know, there's, you know, it would continue that way. But God puts a, a, a little pinpoint there and says, this tree over here, don't, don't mess with it. You don't eat the fruit of that tree. He gave them a commandment. Now, why would he give him a commandment if he wants his creation to be faithful to him in all things? Of course, Adam and Eve, you know, they have no knowledge of good and evil. They're running around the garden naked, and they don't realize it. It doesn't bother them. So why give a commandment? Well, because God wants us to be more than just those two people in that garden. This is going to apply to all of us going forward. And that is to give us the ability to choose. If God wanted us to be robots, we can pro he could program us all the same way, and we would be that way. But we're not robots. We're living beings. We have a soul that God has given to us. And he wants us to have the ability to choose him. Now, why does he want us to choose him? Because God wants us to know about love and to know the love of God. And he does this because he loves us and gives us the ability to choose 
him because of that love. And so he gives that same to us today. We're called upon. We have the beautiful ability to choose. <clears throat> and that's what we need to <clears throat> focus our thoughts on is that God has given us the free will. We're not forced. We're not made to be servants of God. God wants us to, to love him and therefore serve him because of our love. So that's what the word beseech tells us, is the, <clears throat> that God has given us a free will to be able to choose. The second uh, thing that we see in this is the goodness and severity of, well, I'm getting ahead of myself here. Um, he says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you... Um, my brain working here uh, to see several things I beseech you therefore the word therefore is the next word that we, we come across I beseech you therefore and uh, if you've had enough preaching and Bible study you probably learned that the, when you see a therefore that it means to look and see what it's there for and that usually means you look back to what was said before to see the information that's given there, and then you respond to that. And so he gives us the word therefore, and it is that we might see what he says. And the reference that we would go back to, we'd go back into the um, 11th chapter of Romans, verse 22. And it says, uh, note then the kindness and the severity of God and severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. So the word therefore is pointing us back to Romans 11, verse 22, and we learn about the goodness and severity of God. And this is what we need to understand is that uh, we need to be serious about our relationship with God because not being serious means that we're going to be lost and separate from him. Uh, sin cannot be part of God. And so he wants us to remind us that there is a goodness. If we commit ourselves to walk faithfully with God, then there is all oh, so many great blessings and joy and peace that we find from, from God. And uh, those are the things that we want to focus on. So the goodness and severity of God is there. And again, all of it evolves a choice that we're able to choose that which is good and not pursue that which will be, bring us destruction. The next one is the family of God. It's from the word brethren. I beseech you therefore, brethren. And he's talking about uh, family. That's what we are. Brothers and sisters together. The family of God. A brother. In 1 Corinthians 1.10, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind 
and the same judgment. Now God gives a great deal of emphasis to this family relationship. We are called his children. We speak of each other as brothers and sisters because we are family. All of these people who meet in this auditorium today, you're family. We're part of the same family. And we need to see that. You know, uh, how many of you have, a, if you looked at your family, that you have over four children in your family? How many have more than four children? I know you do. <laughs> uh, my brother has 17 grandkids and two great-grandkids, great-great-grandkids. You know, uh, that's quite a few. And I know that my parents came from large families of six or seven siblings, and that makes a, a pretty large family. And once you start marrying and having kids, then it just kind of grows, and you've got a hundred people who are in your family. You know, and being Christians, we automatically become family. When we obey the gospel of Christ, we're added to his, to his body, to the church, and we're family together. And we need to remember that because as family, we are to be loving, to be caring, to be helpful. So those are all the positive things that we should see out of us as Christians, is that we're not carrying anger, hatred, malice, but that we're carrying love and compassion for each other and to treat each other with kindness. <clears throat> so we're part of the family of God. And then the next thing is the family of God, brethren. I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. And that becomes our next one, the mercies of God. What is that? What are the mercies of God? What, what is the word just mercy itself? What does it mean? You go before the judge and you plead, have mercy on me. In other words, don't hold this against me. Forgive me of this. Well, the mercy of God is expressed in a lot of different ways, and it is telling us really the character of God and how he looks at us and how he loves us. Ephesians, the second chapter, starting in verse 4, what we're going to see is that the mercies of God are grace, mercy, peace, kindness, love, forgiveness. And when you read uh, verses 4 and 5, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, and even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ by grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. So Christ himself is our peace. So these are all positive things. Positive things that many times we forget 
or we don't know what God gives to us. Moses, after he had received the Ten Commandments, uh, asked God a question. And he said uh, to God, who are you? I know you're powerful. I've seen your power at work. But who are you? You And that's a good question. Who are you? And God said, I will tell you who I am. And he told him. He said, I am gracious. I am merciful. I am forgiving. I am loving. I am kind. I am gentle. Those are the characteristics of God. And as children, these are to become our characteristics in our life. That we show this to each other and to everyone that we meet. I want you to think about a simple thing. Is that every soul that you meet in your life. You know, today if you go out to the restaurant and you have a, a waiter or waitress in the restaurant, that's a soul that needs saving. Every one of us is a soul that needs saving. To have the knowledge of the grace of God and his mercy and his kindness and his love for us. You know, those are the things that we need to focus on. That every person we meet is a soul who needs saving. Everyone in this auditorium is a person who needs saving. And sometimes we think, well, you know, we all seem to be all right, but we don't always know what's going on inside our life and our heart and the things that we're facing, whether they're positive or, or negative, that we need to be training ourselves to look at a person and know that they're a soul that needs saving. There's someone who needs encouragement. There's someone who needs help and direction. There's someone who needs friendship. And to make sure that we bring that together. So these are beginning to show us some of the characteristics that we're, uh, we have that God wants us to demonstrate ourselves in our life. <clears throat> Next thing is a little tougher looking at, and that is, uh, I want you to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, what does he mean by that? Sacrifices in the Old Testament where you took uh, an animal, a lamb or an oxen or, or birds or whatever, and you slaughtered them and you put them on an altar and burnt part of the meat on the altar. And, and uh, that was a blood offering. You sprinkled the blood around the, the big fire pit they had there for this. And, and, you know, all these things were involved. It's a physical sacrifice. Now, God's asking for us to be a living sacrifice. It doesn't mean he wants us to have our body killed. It's more about walking away from sin and walking with God. Paul writes this in Romans, the sixth chapter. And this is, we talked about baptism last week, and this is one that uh, stands out very strong. Beginning in verse 1 of, of Romans 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. And he sounds pretty strong. No, by no means. 
How can we who died to sin still live in it? Now note that, he who died to sin gives us an idea of what a living sacrifice is. Who died to sin, how can we who died to sin still live in it? We can't do that. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? The sacrifice that was made was Jesus, the Lamb of God. And we are buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. When we obey the gospel, we go through this process of not only uh, confessing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, not only turning from sin, repenting and turning from sin and turning to a spiritual life, we are baptized, buried, is the illustration Paul gives to us. We are immersed, we're buried. This old man of sin has died. And he now is buried and he comes up out of that grave as a new creature, a new person, a spiritual person. So we are giving ourselves to the Lord. And it also carries with the idea that as a, now that we are children of God, we are servants of God, and that we are going to do his will, and we're going to strive to be like him. For if we've been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with, with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin you have no... For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. So becoming a living sacrifice is when we surrender our life and our soul to God, to walk with him, to become like him. In the, old, in the New Testament, we saw people who called themselves rabbis, meaning teacher. And as a Rabbi, they typically would gather to themselves students who would become their disciples, who would follow them. And the goal was to become like your rabbi. You were to become like him. What he uh, said, you said. What he wore, you wore. You know, whatever he did, you, you mimicked that. You walked with that. I remember when I was a freshman in college, we had a fellow student that he admired one of the 
Bible faculty, and he dressed himself with the same suit. He had the same briefcase. He walked the same way that the professor walked. He made himself a true disciple of that professor in that. Now we are both children of God and we're also disciples of Christ. And our goal is to become like Christ. What we see Christ doing, we do. What we hear Christ teaching, we teach. To hear, to see what Christ, how he lives his life, we also. So we want to become as a living sacrifice to surrender ourselves to be that individual who does all that Christ has done and to be like him in every aspect, to love as he loves, to give as he has given, to serve as he has served, to become that way. So that's what a living sacrifice is. I give myself up. I surrender myself you know, to be the Lord's and to walk with him. And then, let's see. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice. And then he says, holy and acceptable to God. To be dedicated. To be holy. Peter talks about this. First Peter 1 Peter 1.5. He says, verse, this is in 1 Peter 1.15. But as he who called us is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. The word holy means that which is pure, blameless. And we think of God that way. For God is holy. And that means we need to become like him. To be someone who is pure, who is blameless, who doesn't give any opening for wrongdoing, but is always one who does what is right in the eyes of God. In the Old Testament, in Micah 6, verse 8, Micah has asked the question of God, what does God require? You know, and Micah said, you know, does, does he require the sacrifice of my children? Does he require a hundred rivers of oil and, and all these things? And he said, what does God require? And God came back with three simple things. One, do what is right in the eyes of God. Not what is right by the will of man, but the will of God. To do what is right and to be righteous from that perspective. The second was to do good, to show kindness, generosity, love, to do good to those around you, to enhance their lives, to let them see what's going on with God, what he's really like. Some years ago, there was a, a family. The family, all the members were Christians except the father. He went to church with them. Many studied with him over the years, and uh, he did not respond to the gospel. One day, one night, his waterbed sprung a leak. 
And he knew the, one of the other members of the congregation lived in the same neighborhood, and he called and said, do you have a wet vac? We've got a mess here. And they said yes, and they took it over to him. And uh, when they got there, they handed it over to them. And then they, instead of just stopping there, they went on in and said, let us help you. And they went in and helped him clean up the mess and get it all taken care of. Two weeks later, he obeyed the gospel. And the people around him said, what changed? He said, I finally saw Christ in action. You know, it's always been said, the greatest sermon you could ever preach is the one that you preach by the life that you live. That when people see you, they see Christ in you. They see God in you. They see the same love that God has for them in you. And so we are to be holy, to be pure in our life. To be acceptable. <clears throat> to be acceptable to God. That is pleasing to God. And uh, that is our daily challenge. In the Old Testament, under the law of Moses, the children of Israel offered sacrifices. And they were required to bring the best, the firstborn, the best. They weren't to bring the leftovers. They weren't to bring the, the broken and maimed or, you know, diseased, which too often times is how we think, you know. Uh, I'll, I'll take this old wreck of a thing and I'll pretty it up a little bit and give it to somebody or sell it to somebody and uh, two weeks later it all falls apart. You know, God's not looking for second best. He's looking for the best. And so each lamb that was wrought was to be pure and holy and clean and according to what God wants. And God fought with the children of Israel because he said many times that you do not bring me your best. You bring me your leftovers. You think about the story that Jesus has given to us where it's kind of collection day and all the Jews have come and they're bringing gifts put into the treasury. And, and uh, I've always visioned when I read that that here are the disciples, the apostles, and they're seeing this take place. And they're seeing, you know, the treasures that are being brought in. You know, here comes this big golden goblet surrounded with precious jewels and diamonds and so forth. And they put that into the treasury. And here comes another with another beautiful, valuable piece to put into the treasury. And the apostles are sitting there just like we would probably do, and just, wow, did you see that? Look at that. I mean, that, that's, that's worth $100,000, you know. And just so overwhelmed with that. And Jesus is standing there kind of going ho-hum, like, I'm not seeing anything yet. Until this lady walks up. She has nothing. 
All she has is two coins. In our vernacular today, two pennies. I don't see many pennies anymore, but that was what she had. I think the Old Testament, uh, New King James Version, said it was a mite. <laughs> and, uh, you know, kids growing up, they were told that birds have mites. <laughs> you know, don't get, get near them and to associate that. But really just a coin, a simple coin. On the bottom of the, of the level of coins. And she put those two coins in there. And the next thing you know, Jesus just explodes. And he said, wow, did you see that? Oh, man. And then his apostles are looking at him. And, you know, there's a million dollars of stuff that's just been donated here. Well, that stuff came out of their closet. That was that big thing that Aunt Mary had given to, to the family. And it was, you know, just worthless. They threw it into a closet. It was their leftovers. It was their, we don't want that. But here this sweet lady puts everything she has into it and that's what we're to be someone who who gives that which is acceptable to God you remember the couple who became Christians and they saw other Christians who were selling their properties and bringing the proceeds and giving it to the apostles to give to those uh, other brothers and sisters that were there to have some food and to be able to have some things that they needed. And, and they made a decision. They were going to do the same thing. And you remember that they sold their property, but they held back half of it. And they said, well, we want to keep half of this. And they took it to the apostles and walked in and said, here it is. Here's our gift. And... Uh, God, through the Holy Spirit, had already told the apostles, told Peter what was going on. And uh, he said, is this all? And oh, yes. Drop dead. Everything he had was his. If he wanted to keep half of what he had, he could simply say, I'm going to keep this half, but this half I'm going to give to you. But he was doing this to be seen of men to think that he would gain some honor by doing this but he didn't want to do it completely his heart was not with God because he gave much to receive praise for it and so we need to become people who are acceptable to God in our life and how we live it that everything we do God is pleased with that is acceptable to God, that we might live for him. And as a result of doing that, there is the great grace of God given to us. You know, we think about the grace of God that has brought to us joy and happiness. And what being a Christian changes us and how excited we are to belong to the Lord and to be with each other. And that's why it's so important that we all assemble together as family, that we have the ability to encourage and to lift each other up and to give us strength and guidance 
through what we face every day. And to enable us to be able to go out into our communities with our neighbors and be able to show to them what a Christian looks like. Now the last word of this, and remember we're still in verse 1 here. We haven't got out of verse 1. The last one is reasonable. To render praise to God, to serve, to do the surface, and that it is reasonable. In Numbers 16, verse 8, And Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi, is it too small a thing for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do service in the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister to them? In other words, God said, it is reasonable for you to do this. Uh, remember the Sabbath law? You're not to work on the Sabbath day. Do you realize that the priest in the temple worked on the Sabbath day? Sacrifices went 24-7. They were around the clock. Now think about that. I worked uh, for a few years for a, a poultry company, and uh, we didn't have what they called a harvest facility. They got their meat from other producers that did that who raised the chickens and so forth. <clears throat> and But it was, you know, an interesting thing, the process it went through to prepare, you know, the chicken, the bird for, for being consumed. And, uh, you know, and that, that kind of goes 24-7 as well because to, to get the product out and do all the things that are involved with it. But what we do is reasonable. It, the ESV actually says your spiritual worship, your spiritual service. So we do that which is reasonable. We come together because that is reasonable. We're family. We sing together, which is reasonable because we're family. We communicate with each other with love and support and encouragement because we are family. It's reasonable. It's reasonable for us to act this way, to be like this, because we're children of God. We're part of his family. We belong to him. And we want to be like Christ, and so we live like Christ. And that is reasonable. And that becomes our spiritual worship. Too often we forget that we are not just flesh and blood. We are spiritual. We have a soul. It belongs to God. And we want our soul to come to know God, to know who he is, to see his character, to see his love, to see his kindness, to see his gentleness. We want to come to that point in our own life that this is not just something we do to check a list. Many people think that being a good Christian is you check the list. You know, have you read your Bible this week? Yeah, I did that. 
even though it was all the short verses. Yeah, second list. I read my, I'm a daily Bible reader. Yeah. Uh, did you pray? Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I did pray because I was going to work and all that traffic, and and I had to pray to, you know, to not let me get killed in this on this travel day. We checked our list. Yeah. That's not what this is about. We are living souls who walk with God and who serve him. And that was the last thing that God said is that you walk faithfully with me in Malachi. So every day when you get up, try to start the day with, with God. Put your hand in his hand and walk with him to see what he does, to learn what he does and to share it with others. So this one verse is packed with some amazing things. And sometimes when we read just that one verse, we kind of fly over it. We maybe catch a word or two of it, but usually fly over it, but it's packed, it's full. And this is why this is referred to as being a chapter that defines what a Christian looks like. It's a summary of what he looks like. Now, Paul repeats many of these things in his other letters. Peter also repeats many of these things in his writings uh, to help us enforce what we're looking at, not just what Paul says here, as a matter of fact, this fits into the, you know, chapter 11, 12, 13, 14 of Romans. These are all tied into that as well. And we're not going to get to do all this, but the, the second group in verse 2 is the way, um, is a, about a life of nonconformity. Be not conformed to this world. Conform means that you become like the world. You dress like the world. You behave like the worldly people. We're not that. So don't become that. Don't conform to the world around you. Conform to Christ. And we do that by a life of transformation. Now the word transformation uh, is in the Greek metamorphosis. You've seen the caterpillar that became the butterfly. That's the process they go through. And see how beautiful it is. So we go through a transformation. We change our life. When we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and we want to become a part of his family, we obey that gospel. And we go through that transformation of leaving the world, leaving that wicked man that I am, and becoming a spiritual being with God. We've looked at that already. So we have a life of transformation. And that transformation occurs by the renewing of your mind, changing the way you think. Changing the way you think. And that's one of the most important things that we need to do is to say, who am I? And define who you are. Change the way you think. I belong to Christ. I belong to God. I'm part of his family. 
And I want that to be seen to give glory and honor to my Father in heaven who has given me life. So change the way you think. Change your attitudes. Change your behavior. Be transformed into this new person. And by so doing that, you provide a proving life. Proof of what it's like to be a child of God. To demonstrate that to everyone around you. Now, I haven't heard the bell ring, but it does look like we are need to quit. <laughs> Thank you for being with us today.